You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is Season 8, Episode 13. Storytelling is an inherent part of what it means to be human. We tell stories to communicate the day's events, past experiences, and to imagine our hopes for the future. Stories are how we convey truth and emotion and how we teach our children important lessons about life and the nature of the world. In this episode, my guest highlights a unique approach to the art of storytelling. Rather than using words, artist Tammy Coker utilizes color, shape, and bold design to tell stories. Tammy Coker is a multidisciplinary artist based in Dallas, Texas. He creates visually compelling artwork for campaigns, products, activations, and more. Tammy's use of vibrant colors and textures come from his upbringing in Nigeria, as well as his love for the colors, patterns, and storytelling of the African diaspora. He's worked with clients such as Adobe, HBO, Apple, and Facebook. In today's episode, Tammy and I discuss color as an agent of storytelling along with other themes such as the business side of art making, how to avoid burnout, and the challenges of overcoming people-pleasing to follow a sense of calling. Thank you so much for listening. This is my conversation with multidisciplinary artist, Tammy Coker. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for having me. I've been following your work primarily on Instagram this year, and I love the images that you are creating. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I'm curious to dive into some of the background of your art, talk about your creative process, what motivates you to do the work, and just get to know you as an artist and as a creative thinker. Awesome. Yeah. I'd love to start here. I know that you grew up in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. and that Nigeria, as well as the African diaspora with the patterns and the colors and storytelling, has had a real significant influence on your art making. I'd love to know how your upbringing in Nigeria influenced you as an artist. Yeah, so in, in Nigeria, um, I'm from the Yoruba tribe, and so um, you know we have different traditional wares uh, called ashoke, and essentially, it is cloth that is woven with patterns and colors, and families wear it to big events and even small events as well. Um, but the cool thing is, you know, a whole family can buy hundreds of yards of fabric um, of ashoke, and then they get it sewn into what they're going to wear for the celebration. And so there's this sense of unity, but still, like everyone gets to kind of sew it in their own way. And so there's that way to kind of still show expression within the unity. And so those are things that I try to apply in my work. I have a lot of different colors, patterns, textures, but overall my whole goal is always to make everything look like a family, look together and complement each other, but but still have their own distinct personalities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first started design, I was really trying to do muted colors because... I just felt like that was the, I don't know. I just, I just felt like I, I just felt like I wanted to try something different, mm-hmm. but I found myself going back to color 
But the ironic thing is like in real life, like even today I have on like uh, pastel colors. I, I, do, I do a lot of like muted tones, um, but I'm trying to add more color to my closet. The only colorful things really are like my traditional wares, you know, that I wear to events and whatnot. It seems like what I hear you saying is that there is a synergy between unity and diversity within your work, and even more so perhaps, and I see this in your work, even I'm looking at your Instagram page now at all the beautiful, vibrant colors you have, but there's a real sense of tradition and innovation working together in your work. Yeah, good eye for noticing that. Um, you know, I, I feel like colors can tell stories. Colors can evoke emotion. I mean, if you think about the big tech, the first thing that comes to mind is the color blue, right? If you think about health, you think about red. You know, if you think about summer, you're thinking bright colors. Um, if you're thinking about fall, you're thinking pastel um, or like orange and brown. So colors tell a story. Colors have a sense of emotion as well. And so it's just all boils down to, you know, what are you trying to tell? And that's why I keep I keep adding the storytelling because that is really still part of what I do. I started with photography first, you know, in 2011, and I pivoted to design in 2016, you know, and it's been a journey, you know, but the things I learned in photography about composition, placement, color, contrast, and things like that, all of those things, I put them together to um, kind of have it... Um, direct how I design as well, because I think those two you can there there are similarities in those two mediums. I love this idea of color being a conduit for storytelling and how particular colors evoke particular emotions. That's really that's really beautiful, and I can see that in your work. Thank you. One thing I'd love to know about is just your own creative journey. You just now talked about how in 2011 you were working with photography, but you're a multidisciplinary artist with lots of different mediums that you bring together. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a twofold question. One, I'm really curious about your creative development and how all those things came together. And maybe after this, I'd love to get into your journey. You've worked with some fairly large clients, Adobe, HBO, Apple, Facebook. Yeah. I'm really interested in, and I know the listeners of the Makers and Mystics podcast would be interested to know some of your journey as well and how you developed as an artist, but let's start with talking about how you moved from photography into the digital media and a lot of the other elements that you add to your work. You know, I think I think for me, the idea of expressing myself has always been important, and so I remember when I was young, around like nine years old, my dad had someone come teach us how to play the piano, my sister and I. And so we were playing, but my sister didn't really like it, so she stopped. But I just kept on learning and growing. And the teacher left and I started teaching myself. And now I'm 28, so I've been playing for over, yeah, over like 17 years, give or take. There were there were a couple of years in there where I, I took like a break or I didn't really learn anything. But yeah, music has been a part of my life. It's kind of my first love, I would say, in the creative field. Um, it was a way for me to express myself. In fact, I wanted to study music in college, but my parents weren't really happy with that. So 
<laughs> I ended up doing biomedical engineering, but then I switched to digital media. But yeah, so that is one of the pivotal points in my life where I realized that I always wanted to express myself. I knew when I was young that I, I was going to work for myself or do something to create a field. But I kept suppressing it because in our culture, you, they want you to be a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, you know, and if you're not those things, then you're not quote unquote successful, mm. you know, and yeah, it just, it kind of sucks. I didn't really have anyone to look up to in this field, you know, even coming to America, you didn't really see a lot at the time. A lot of people that looked like me that were like doing something in the art field, they were, I mean, you had some that were doing like music, but it was like, who is, who's like creating stuff? Who is like doing photography or graphic design or video? And, you know, now I'm grateful that I can be inspiration to people that look like me, people that come from where I come from and um, let them know that it's possible. You know, after graduation, graduating college, I went back to my old high school to teach photography and graphic design. Wow. And it was, it was amazing. I taught there for three years you know, I had I had brand work that came in. And I was able to talk to the brand to try to, you know, allow my kids to be involved. And there was one what I did with Estee Lauder. And it was like a six-month campaign. I think for the last two images, I talked to them. They allowed me to bring it to the classroom. I had the kids shoot it. You know, and they just, they just felt good. And we were able to show them the ones we wanted to send to the clients and stuff like that. And I didn't just teach them, like, how to take pictures or do graphic design. I taught them the business side as well. So how do you make sure that you and your clients are in communication? Um, the importance of writing contracts, the importance of budgeting and things like that. Being a full-time artist is definitely more than just being in the studio all the time. You have to learn to be an entrepreneur and to be business savvy as well. Yeah, you have to. If not, um, you're not gonna, it's going to, it's going to hinder your growth. It's going to hinder how serious people take you is going to hinder how far you get in the creative career. Mm -hmm. um, because I think companies, if you, if you want to start working with big companies, you need to really be established in, and when I mean established, I don't mean like an established artist that does help, but I think established as a business, like, are you an LLC? Are you a sole proprietor? Do you have invoice system and things like that? Mm-hmm. So the practical really serves the creative. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, companies are like asking you like, hey, what's your what's your tax ID number for your business? <laughs> you know, like fill out this vendor form. Like, what uh -huh. are, you gonna, are you just going to put your name in your social? You know, so it's just like I think companies take you more seriously. And, and I've seen it over and over again. You know, if, if they ask you to do some work and you're like, oh, I don't have a... LLC, that becomes an issue because now they can't like write you off as a 1099. I mean, they could, they could just use your name, but you know, I just feel like if you're trying to have a business, you need to be business minded, which means having a business account and knowing how to run that. So you can see how much your business has and how well your business is doing. If you don't have that and you're just taking the money into your bank account, then when it's time for the IRS, once uh, when it's time for taxes, you have to pay taxes on all those money, on all of that money that you got paid from different brands. So if you're not even saving it and you're just like, let's say a brand pays you 20K for some work, 
And let's just say you see you see that twenty k coming to your bank account, and you're like, oh shoot, I can go get me this new car. Let me go buy me an Audi, you know. Or you know, Tesla has a twenty five thousand dollar car now. Let me go get a Tesla. It's like okay, you got it. But then the next year, when it's time for taxes, you have to pay. You know, depending on where you're at, I think in New York is like forty five or fifty percent of what you make goes into income tax. And then you know, if you work for yourself, then you have your um, self-employed tax, self, self-employment tax. So there's just all of this stuff that I feel like a lot of people don't talk about. And their all their idea is just like, I want to work for myself, but it's like, okay, now that I work for myself, who's paying my health insurance? How am I going to save up for retirement? Mm-hmm. You know, And those are things that I'm learning now. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about you went to school for biomedical engineering, mm-hmm. but then you switched to digital media. And you said as well that in your culture or in your upbringing, there weren't a lot of mentors or people that understood the path that you wanted to take. Mm-hmm. Where did you find the courage to keep going in this path? Because it's very non traditional in some ways. Mm-hmm. Where did you find the courage to keep going? when maybe you lacked the understanding of those around you? Yeah, honestly, it was a God thing. To make that decision, I think, I remember I was in, I was in my room crying and there was Mali music playing in the background. And I was like, God, I can't keep living this life of making people happy. I know what you want me to do, but I'm scared. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I vividly like remember just feeling God's presence in the room and, you know, him telling me that, I take care of my own mm. and I was like well <laughs> you know that that was the same month I went to the house I was so scared but I told my dad I was like hey I want to switch my major he was not happy we argued you know and I just remember going up to the room after the argument crying but I had my keyboard there so I just played my heart away and I, you know I just felt like you know what God is going to take care of me And if this is what he wants me to do, he's going to find a way. There was one time I was at an event playing the keys and a woman came up to me. She's like, hey, do you play for events? And I was like, no, I mean, kind of, but I don't I don't really do that. And she was like, well, I want you to do it for our event that we're having next week. And she was like. How much do you charge? And I was like, I don't know, fifty dollars. She's like, what? <laughs> so I, I, uh, she was like, How about I pay you? I think she said like two or three grand. Mm-hmm. And she was like, That's per night. I was like, What? <laughs> and so it was two nights I had to play, and that was the money that I ended up using to pay for um, summer school. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember my one of my last semesters in college. We needed like seven, eight hundred, and my parents didn't have it. I went to the financial aid, and they they were like, "Hey, you know, you actually you actually filled out this thing when you were a freshman that said that if you graduate in within four years, you won't have to pay this much back. So here is eight thousand dollars." Amazing. Like, and you know, <laughs> so just just different things like. You know, people started hiring me for stuff on campus for photography and weddings and graduations. Graduation, December and May was like 
like my most profitable month of the year um, in college. And yeah, you know, and I had a great support system on campus um, and even my church family in Houston because I went to the University of Houston. And um, yeah, so honestly, yeah, my, my faith played a big part, but it took a lot because my dad called me, was not happy. I had people calling me that I don't even know. They were like my dad's friends and they were like, God told me to tell you that you're making a mistake. And I was like, whoa. Oh, wow. You know, another one was like, this is not God's will for your life. And so it just made me question like, okay, what is God's will for my life? And I remember our pastor was like, God's will is for you to know him and his will for you to love your neighbor as yourself and um, obey. You know, it's like, dang. So all, <laughs> all of this, like people are like sitting here waiting like, oh, I'm not going to apply for this job until God tells me to apply. And it's just like, you know, the, the analogy I can give is, you know, when you're when you're being potty trained and you want to go to the bathroom, you let your parents know you're going to the bathroom and you ask them, can I go to the bathroom? Can you come help me? But then as you get older, you don't ask them anymore because they've taught you, right? Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to like Christian faith, you know, in our walk, I think, yeah, in the beginning, we're still learning about who God is and what he's done, but if you, as you grow, you realize like he's put the Holy Spirit in you, you know, and so you don't have to like, and the Holy Spirit prays for you when you don't even know what to pray for, (laughs) you know, and it's like, it's like sometimes you're sleeping, but the Holy Spirit might be praying for you at that moment because you, you slept with worry in your mind and, you know, and it's just, it's just crazy to me because I, I had like three job offers before I decided to work for myself. And I said no to all three. And I remember the first time I said no. And the second time I was just like distraught. I was like, God, I don't know. Is this your will? Am I like not obeying you right now? You know? And it was just like, God was in the details and he knew what was going to happen. And he led me in those moments, you know? And yeah. And so I'm not saying like, don't pray for discernment and guidance. But I think sometimes we just we just sit in one place and don't do anything and expect God to move. Such a beautiful story. And I talk to many artists all the time. And I think this challenge of giving up people pleasing to follow after whatever it is that's burning in your heart. And 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 many times, especially in creative work, there aren't a lot of prototypes there you know that that's the nature of creativity is doing something that really hasn't been done before so there's a whole lot of the unknown there's a whole lot of risk and uncertainty that goes into that and i think the well-meaning people want us to have the easier path but sometimes the path of creativity is not always the easiest path and i appreciate your story and find encouragement in it of going beyond people-pleasing and really finding the path that is most satisfying to you and what it sounds like where you really met God in the place of your creativity. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I feel like like God is the greatest artist that ever lived. You know, if you look at if you look at the sunset, if you look at how he even made the earth, you know, it's like, it's just amazing. And, and 
if we're made from the image of God, I feel like that creativity is in there for everybody. It looks different, you know. Some people's creativity could be in coding, could be in cleaning, you know, could be in art, could be in speaking. So, like, when people tell me, like, they, they're not creative, I'm just like, uh, no, you are. It's just in a different way. But I think society has made put creative creativity almost in the box where it's like you're a graphic designer, photographer, artist, a musician, stylist. And it's like there, there's a bigger range of creativity out there. Mm-hmm. Tell me some of the people who have inspired your work. When I look at your work, I see hints of Basquiat, who is also one of my heroes that I love. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little hint of Andy Warhol, some pop art here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me some of the people that have influenced your work. Yeah, you 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 have a you have a good eye. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I'm wearing I'm wearing a John Basquiat uh, hoodie right now. Nice. Um, they did a collection with um, Uniqlo and Warner Brothers. But yeah, I love Basquiat because you know. In the drawing sense of professional artists who can draw, he does not know how to draw. Mm-hmm. However, he did not let that stop him from expressing himself. And I think that's where the magic was. Yes. He realized, like, yes, there are limitations to what he can do, but this is the style that he's found and he's going to keep running with it. And so as far as inspiration from Basquiat, like, for me, that is the most important piece where it's like, cause I found myself like, Oh, I want to learn how to draw. If I learn how to draw, my career would be better. I would get more clients. I don't have to always license images and blah, 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 blah. But you know, yes, I still want to learn illustration, but now I'm not putting pressure on myself to kind of be that type of person. You know, my style has been merging photography and graphic design and, you know, I've been, pretty successful in that field and want to continue to explore the endless possibilities that come from it. And I've had amazing opportunities to be able to express that. And so other inspirations, I would say, you know, there's a guy named Karen Singh. Um, He's an illustrator. But one thing that me and him have in common is, is like optical illusion art inspiration. So op art, Mm -hmm. um, black and white patterns, textures, those are things that I'm always like like looking out for. Who else can I think of? Man, Rob Bailey, he's an artist. He just uses shapes. Karen Sykes, I love how she draws. She's a good friend of mine. My friend Joshua Kissy, even though he's a photographer, he's a great storyteller. And anything that he shoots always has a story. And I love that. And, you know, me and him talk a lot about just trying to continue to create a legacy for not just ourselves, but our kids and our people and making work that inspires generations to come. And yeah, those are just a few I would say off the top of my head um, that I'm inspired by. I love what you said of looking at your art as something to inspire generations to come, to be a legacy for your children and for people to come. I think many times we in our culture today, we get so focused on the present moment mm-hmm. that you know we forget that art really outlives us in many ways. I had a friend of mine who said, write the song that your great-grandchildren are going to sing. Mm. Wow. That's good. 
And I see that again in, in your own story with the tradition and the innovation working together. It's like, even though your art is very modern and very mm-hmm. innovative, the heritage and the culture that is a part of your story really shines through in a beautiful way. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's just important to make sure that you leave something behind for people to be inspired by. Because I, I want my work to live longer than I will, you know? Because I, I think of artists like Kane Wiley. Like his work is, he takes things from the Renaissance era and and uses people from the 1990s or 2000s and puts them back in those days. You know, it's like Michael Jackson on a, on a horse, like looking like he's about to go to war, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, just even what he did for, I, I think he's, I think he drew Obama or Michelle Obama. I, no, I think he drew Obama. And it's just like amazing to know that that work that he made is in museums and that will live on for generations. And I'm hoping one day my work will end up in museums, but if it doesn't, I think one of the most important things for me is doing the best with the time and the people that God has given me. And so I think a lot of us think of like, man, I want to want to be on this big stage. You know, I want to do this amazing thing for millions of people to see. But it's like, what if God has just called you to inspire, you know, 500 people in your lifetime? What are you going to do with that? You know, I think sometimes we chase the fame and not realizing that, the person that God really wants us to bless is our neighbor or our family members or someone next to us, you know? And I think, I think for me, my, my motto has always been just be faithful with your gifts and God will open up the doors. Now it might not be, it might not be, the doors might not be as big as you might want, but you know, I think the fulfilling thing is that you're being faithful with your gift, regardless Mm -hmm. of the opportunities that come. Um, Cause you know, and I tell people the journey is the reward and not the destination. I love that. Because uh, my journey has been crazy. You know, people see where I'm at now, but they never understood like where I started from. I mean, even in college, my my first wedding, I charged $100 for eight hours. You know, for eight I, hours. Eight <laughs> oh, wow. Hours. And I did video. And uh-huh. I used After Effects for the intro, you know, and it's like... Uh-huh. I've taken a lot of L's. I've had to learn how to price my work. I've had to learn how to communicate. I've had to learn how to run a business. I've I've had to learn how to work hard and still save money so that I can end up working for myself. You know, so there's a lot of a lot of things that I've learned and that I'm still learning learning right now. So mm-hmm. you mentioned this working for yourself. And the amount of work that it takes to do that, I, I'd love to know if you have any practices in your own life that help you avoid burnout. Because working for yourself requires long hours, not only creating the work, but then also working as a businessman as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have any practices that keep you from burnout, or have you gone through burnout? How do we avoid burnout? <laughs> yeah, I think. That for me, I I took a two month break last year, November to December, because I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, twenty twenty was probably my best year yet, but I mean twenty twenty one will probably 
probably be a lot better as well. But um, I think it's important to like pay attention to how much money you have in your business for payroll and how much you're how much you're living off of every month. That's very pivotal because if you don't if you don't know those numbers, then it's going to be hard for you to justify taking a break because you're always going to feel like, oh, I have to work. I have to work. I have to work. And so what I did was, you know, I, I've been paying attention to it and I was saving up money from February um, of last year so that whenever it, it, whenever it was November, I knew, okay, now if work comes in, I don't have to take it, but I can still survive the next two months. You know, and so being um, very attentive and saving money, because I, I, I don't believe in like spending money once you get it. I think you have to save it and let the money work for you. And I think, you know, when you're able to take a break, your money is working for you, you know, because now you're able to relax and the money that you've accumulated throughout the months, you're, you were able to save and use it to take care of yourself for the next two months so you could rest. Um, now, you don't have to take two months. You could take two weeks. But yeah, I, I use a system called Profit First, and it just allows me to break things down. And when every paycheck comes, I know how much to pay ourselves for payroll, how much to put in taxes and things like that. But yeah, my friend actually made a tweet yesterday, and I'm going to look for it really quickly because I really feel like it resonates with this question. And essentially what he was saying was, yeah, he says, when you can't create, it is a sign to rest. When you're uninspired, it is a time to listen. And so this is my friend, um, Abraham Alexander, that said this. And yeah, and I got to a point where I couldn't really create, you know, and I think I just needed to rest. So I was playing games, sleeping, watching TV talking to friends, catching up. And then when we moved to our new office around like late December, I just got inspired again to work, you know, and I was able to like pick back up where I left off. And now we're in January, have a lot of client work, but I'm ready, you know, and excited and like energized. So I think I think it's important to definitely take breaks. But if you work for yourself full time, it's going to be hard to take breaks if you're not able to budget yourself wisely. And so, because you're going to feel like, oh, I don't have money for next month. Oh, I don't have money for this month. And now you're working yourself to the bone and it's just not conducive. And great. Uh, thankfully, you know, we're in a spot where, where we have our payroll on auto pay. I mean, yeah, auto pay for us. And all of that stuff. So that definitely helps. If we, if COVID wasn't a thing and I wanted to take like a summer break, you know, we could afford it. So um, those are, but those are practices that I instilled in our business when we first started. Tammy, thank you so much for joining me on Makers and Mystics. This has been a truly inspiring conversation. Thank you for having me. This was, this was awesome. Thank you for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. Music for this episode is provided by Layered Music and Songs of Water. You can find links to Tammy Coker's work in the show notes of this episode. If you've been inspired by this podcast and would like to help us continue the production of these conversations, please consider becoming a monthly patron and enjoy our additional content, regular book clubs, and online events, as well as opportunities for one-on-one creative coaching. 
You can find out more about becoming a patron at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. <laughs>